in the world. If there are no people there to watch it, it becomes nothing. We were magnificent, magnificent. Larson, oh he's in, Henrik Larson! That is sensational! Nakamura! The game is over, the Rebels have won. Yeah! Good evening and welcome to another episode of the Jungle Jumps podcast. Today is Tuesday the 25th of January and um, quite a sombre one unfortunately. We've heard of the, the passing of Wim Janssen. So as expected uh, for a large part of tonight's episode is going to be dedicated towards talking about Wim Janssen. And we don't want it to be a kind of sombre kind of tone. We want to actually... Um, talk about the, the good times of what he gave to us and kind of remember the man that, that, that we read about and that we knew as Celtic fans. Um, so I can hope um, all the, the viewers are able to join us tonight and um, and giving us their own memories and um, special wishes, of course, to the, the Janssen family. But I'm joined by Paddy and McGinty and I'm your host, Gavin. Guys, how are you doing? And thanks for coming on tonight. I all very well. Um, I was excited and Happy to come back on the day waking up, uh, kind of ready for. I think we had a, a different plans for tonight's episode, but the news that broke this morning I think it was this morning when I heard anyway it kind of hit home. It's one of these ones where my age, Wim Janssen's one of those first managers I remember quite vividly. Remember that season, I remember how he influenced games. So it's one of those ones where you realize people who you grew up idolizing in some aspects. It's starting to hit home. So for me, it has been quite a quite a hard hitting moment. This one hearing about one passing. Hundred percent, Paddy. Just I uh, just pretty much what uh, McGinty said. You know, with with a bit of a, a, a debate lined up for the night, but obviously when we heard the news, you know that was that was out the window. Just to get it going and talk a wee bit about one, I'm sure. Yeah, and there's been plenty of conversation about him so far, but obviously we like to we'd like to kind of pitch in and hear your thoughts and share our memories and try and have as much chit chat as we can about the guy. Um, obviously, again, it's a that's a another sad night. Isn't it? That's that's another another Celtic legend we've lost. That's we bet all day in November. I think Charlie Gallagher as well, um, Billy McNeil, and re- recently as well. Uh, no, recently, but he's kind of. The last few years, that's a, a, a few Celtic or ex, uh, Celtic legends that have died with kind of battling dementia, and they've all been roughly about the same age as well, or the same age bracket. So it's 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 a it's a it's a, a rubbish trend that we're seeing now. I know, I know. Um, it's a, a horrible kind of law of nature that we are kind of. Fate has it in store for us that we are going to watch our heroes, you know, mm. gradually pass on. Um, but it's moments like tonight that we're going to remember the good times as well. So let's talk about that. Um, for people of our generation and older, of course, you'll be you'll be well well aware of Wim Janssen, what he did as as a player and as a as a manager. And for the younger generation who might have only kind of 
had that awareness when Martin O'Neill came to the fore. We hope that we can do the man a wee bit of justice and, um, and educate you guys um, without sounding too patronising. But William Janssen, of course, the main thing that he did for Celtic was he stopped the 10 in a row. Um, Rangers had obviously the, the 9 in a row, which uh, our Lisbon Lions had done back in the 70s. Rangers went on to equal that in the, the following season. That was when William Janssen was appointed. Um, he, he won the, the league, he won the the, the CIS Cup as well. And um, he, he made his mark as well as a player. Um, so we actually had a relationship with him. Um, with Wim Janssen as an opponent. This was back in 1970. It was one of the most disappointing nights in Celtic's illustrious history. And he was playing for Feyenoord, where they beat Celtic 2-1. I think that was in the, the, the San Siro. And um, yeah, so Wim Janssen, make no mistake, Wim Janssen was a proper, proper player. He was a European Cup winner for Feyenoord. And he played in two World Cup finals for Holland, both on the, the, the losing side on both occasions. I think they lost to, to West Germany. And they also lost to Argentina as well. But this man was a proper, proper player. So although we are hurting, we know that um, and our our counterparts in Holland and the, the final fans, they'll be hurting as well. Um, just to kind of, from my own perspective, before I hand it back to you guys, just to kind of tell you my understanding of the background whenever Wim Janssen joined Celtic. So this was about... It was about three years after, like the mid-90s, like mid-90s was was uh, it was just like full of turmoil for Celtic of upheaval. Um, and I'm sure that this top here will be a symbol of upheaval <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, but whenever Wim Janssen signed for Celtic as the manager, this was about three years after the old um, board had been ousted, that gluttonous self-serving board had been ousted, and Fergus McCann had taken over. We'd spent one year of purgatory in Hamden, then we came back to a newly built stadium at Parkhead and Tommy Burns at that point, he was the manager. We had some lovely free-flowing football. We had some um, continental names coming over, the likes of your Decanios, your um, your Cadets, uh, your Pierre Van Hoydunks, Andreas Tom. Um, so at that point, it was a, a, a kind of high moment. But of course, Rangers still had that dominance. We'd stopped um, six years of um, an absence of any trophies. We reclaimed the Scottish Cup. But then Rangers again took their, their foothold in the, in the league. And um, th their dominance was very much asserted. But whenever Fergus, sorry, whenever Fergus McCann appointed Wim Janssen, that was on like the, the 3rd of July, 1997. And um, Tommy Burns, he'd been sacked. I think the, the relationship between him and Fergus McCann, the relationship cracked under the pressure of Rangers getting that nine in a row. So Tommy Burns had, been, had left. We then had the controversial appointment of uh, Jock Brown, um, who was... Like a sports lawyer and also a broadcaster, and even his sporting allegiances were were rather questioned whenever he he um, was appointed as the director of football. So Fergus McCann at that moment was taking a, a very a continental approach, a continental model for Celtic. Didn't last very long with Doc Brown, as we all know. Um, and we had uh, Murdo McLeod. He was the reserve manager at that time, but he then got appointed to the the assistant manager, and he was a main main. A bridge between Fergus McCann, Jock Brown and Wim Janssen as their relationship as we'll learn later on as that relationship deteriorated but Murdo McLeod was the kind of the bridge between the, the, the hierarchy and uh, Wim Janssen and I think um, Davey Hay um, our Celtic legend, he was the, the chief scout at the time mm -hmm. but aye, so that, that was the kind of background and um, uh, the, the fans after losing uh, the likes of um, 
uh, Tommy Burns. We then lost, of course, Pierre Van Hooydonk. We lost uh, De Canio. And uh, we lost our captain as well, Paul McStay. Had to retire prematurely because of a, an ankle injury. So uh, the, the morale was down, which was like a, kind of a constant theme in the 90s. But then this new man came in, a guy with the perms here. So, Paddy, do you want to take it away? What was your first impressions whenever you saw Wim Janssen being appointed? Well, me being a wee guy at the time, Gab, the first thing I recognised was his, was his hair. You know, it was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> like, but, like, we're anything to talk about when it comes no, to... No, I know, but obviously, like, obviously, when you're a wee guy, like, you, 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 you watch football and you see some things, but you seen... I, I didn't really, kind of take into account his, his history and where he'd been before being a, being a young man but obviously when I've been back in it over the years it's, it's, it's an incredible uh, experience that he had but you, you, you think about what happened at the time Gav you know we lost Tommy Burns because he was sacked uh, by, by Fergus McCann because of the breakdown uh, and whatnot. and then there's the whole the malaise of the media you know, names flying in left, right, and centre. Who's going to be the next manager? Bobby Robson, you see what I think he was. I think he was. Gav, um, I, I need to double check that one, but that brings a bell. But the one that kind of strikes out in memory is was, was, was listening to Hugh Keevans and reading Hugh Keevans' uh, quips in the paper. He was he was determined that uh, Arthur George. Was going to be the next Celtic manager, and that he was signed and sealed and delivered. With a wee Portuguese fella with a wee kind of a wee moustache. Still, I still actually don't remember who he managed, but um, I, that's that's who he 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 nailed his colours to the mast and said that Arthur George had signed, and and that was it. And then, literally, a day or two later, uh, Wim Janssen was the manager. So I, uh, but as we said before, but there was. A wee, a wee bit like, um, a wee bit like Ange Postecoglou this season, kind of a wee bit of snobbery and kind of backhanded comments about where he's come from. It was the same way uh, Wim Janssen, who had his previous role was in Japan with Hiroshima, some some team in Hiroshima, and one of the the, the media headlines over here gave was the uh, Wim Janssen, the second worst thing he hit Hiroshima. Yeah, you know, so. How glad, how glad um, he must have been that he, he made them eat his words, you know? That's a fucking toxic headline. That is. Aye, but it's, it's, a, it's a toxic country in terms of in terms of media and how uh, how horrendous it can be. I, I think that's without tooting our own horn there, but I think that's why, and especially today's age of technology and social media and stuff, it's probably why fan media and podcasts are kicking off so well. The the Scottish media is absolutely atrocious. That's one example of hundreds across the board of all clubs. I mean, the headlines to come out with is absolutely pish, to say the least. So, yeah, re- very much glad to to eventually see that you know one made them eat the words and much like where where a player who later on came through the doors and Luba Maracic, Hugh Kevin's got it humongously wrong in his assessment of it and. Up you, Kevin's. <laughs> That's quite a telling point for Kevin Fourteen. There are not many become legends at two clubs, and uh, Fine Lord, of course, will also be sad today. Very tuned. Thanks for the Del Boy for the Celtic Supports Club, and uh, I would say, um, given given us uh, their, their own input for that, 
Um, McGinty, whenever the, the, the season approached in the 1997-1998, this was by far one of the most pivotal in, um, in our history. And uh, obviously we are old enough, to, or we were young enough at the time to remember it. Um, going into it, it was, again, a, a time of upheaval. And it didn't start off too well. Like the first two games, that I believe, started off in defeats. Was it, was it Dunfermline and, and Hibs? That infamous game against Hibs? <laughs> uh, both, both two ones. Uh, I think we've all seen that uh, infamous Hibs game and the, uh, the unfortunate goal. Uh, many, many times, I'm sure, Henrik Larson himself is probably sick of being reminded about that incident. But uh, it's a season that overall, as I said earlier on at the start, it, it, it's a season that I remember quite fondly of that age of starting to starting to know more about football and appreciate more about football and the, the kind of finer workings of it. It's not just a case of going it every weekend and not knowing when the start of the season and the end of the season was. At that point, I was coming to an age where I could understand the structure of the game a lot more. And two defeats on the bounce of the league, it was a poor start. You felt like it was just a, it's just going to be a continuation of the last, what, nine, ten years sort of thing. It's going to be another one of those seasons where you're just happy to begin out the house and go to do a, a kind of activity in the afternoon on a Saturday. But it changed, didn't it? It absolutely changed after a while. Um, I think for me, just looking at the, the list of results just now, it's, I, I don't want to get too, too, cheesy or too wishy-washy about it but it's almost um kind of some not symbolic is probably the wrong word but it's quite nice the way that he's when Janssen's season started with those two defeats at the start and we all thought oh christ here we go to then go on a, a nice wee run of games where he was winning quite comfortably a lot of good kind of four nils two nils three three goals to the good and stuff like that where what i'm going with this is basically to say that when Janssen I acknowledge, and this is the first time I really kind of understood tactics a lot more and I kind of understood where a good manager plays a good role in a football club and he's just not some guy who picks a team. Within 10 minutes of a game, Wim Janssen could suss out the opponents and go, right, that's how you're setting up. This is how we're playing. We're not working. Flip it and change it. He would change the formation. He would change where the personnel were playing at times. He would change the actual approach to our game. And within 10 minutes, he'd suss that opponent out and then we'd just go on we'd get the result that we needed or, or better sort of thing. And it, it kind of looks like just looking at this list of results, that almost happened in the league over the whole piece. The first two games, oh Christ, this is the working change it and all of a sudden the wins start to come. Um, yeah. Just this kind of parallel and such. And uh, I really good points about it's kind of tacticalness. And it's kind of worth pointing out that he was the first ever non-British or non-Irish manager to take over at Celtic. Um, and and he was, probably... He was, he was also the first uh, non-ex or current Celtic player to become a manager. How many of them have we had? We had how many managers have we had that haven't... I Liam Brady technically was the player manager at Celtic. That was his. That was his club. So it was. It was a. Technically, was he played for Celtic? You know what I mean. But he was. He was. It was basically the first non-affiliated person with Celtic to manage Celtic. And another thing, I know that we're going to talk a bit more in detail about the actual season, but in terms of actually remembering the man 
Um, I'd never met the guy, uh, but the way that he conducted himself in interviews with the media, he seemed a very, very laid back, a typical kind of Dutch persona. They are quite laid back, obviously competitive as hell, but very laid back, very self-assured. The guy had done it, of course, as a professional. Um, he just knew football and the way that he spoke and even the way that the, that the players, the, the Celtic players spoke of him, even on the day that they found out when they did that that uh, friendly against Sporting Lisbon the day after they clinched the title when they knew that he was leaving. Um, I remember watching an interview by Jonathan Gould and they were determined to do everything they could to to stop his departure until they realised it was a point of principle that that was going to lead to his exit. But the, the the players were gutted whenever they, they were um, whenever they were aware that he was leaving, and that's just a a, a a token of their respect. You know what I mean? That 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 says a lot because a lot a lot of people can be very very indifferent about the the managers that they play under. But it's it's nice to to kind of remember what he was like as a personality as well, and how well respected he was by his peers. But going into the season, just to kind of rhyme off some of the the signings that. The man made obviously you had Davy, who was a chief scout, and you had um, uh, Morgan McLeod helping William Jansen as well. But um, one of the one of the the domestic transfers that we made was Darren Jackson from Hibs. Mm-hmm. Now he was a player, very very conspicuous player. They, you kind of it was hard to ignore him whenever he played in the, the opposition because he always fought tooth and nail against you. Um, but Darren Jackson, he, he was a, a good servant for for Celtic, not not the longest career, but he, he was a, a great player for Celtic. And of course, he had the infamous Ste- uh, Stefan Mahe from PSG. Love that guy. Crackpot. <laughs> you remember? Was it ninety? Was it ninety? Uh, he came from Rennes, not PSG. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, pardon me. I'm talking. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, but he played against us, didn't he, for PSG? Is that what it was? Probably. Uh, let me just have a I'm glance. Sh- I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he played for PSG. Uh, yeah, he was PSG before he went to Rennes, then he came to Celtic. Right. Got um, we also had Craig Burley from Chelsea. Um, he's one of the ones who the fans never really took to, perhaps a, an unsung hero, shall we say. Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the, the controversial ones, Reggie Blinker. So, this was um, the, the kind of protracted transfer scenario with Paulo De Canio leaving us. Eventually, Jock Brown and his wisdom as director of football. He really got the fans on side with this one. He let De Canio go to um, Sheffield Wednesday. And we got and return Reggie Blinker. He had a tough time at Parkhead. Aye, yeah. he did. Uh, I've got the list here as well. There's uh, a couple of names you've missed out, which I'm guessing you were going to get onto anyway. But I've got one that I'm going to pick out and just ask you guys if any of you remember him. Apparently, he came in on loan in March '98 that season. So I'm imagine just the last two or three months. This, of course, is pre-transfer uh, window days. But who the hell is Kevin Pilkington from Man United on loan? He was a goalkeeper. Was he a goalkeeper? All right. I I, I, I guess he him, never played. I, I don't know. I remember him playing for like Sheffield Wednesday when he was like thirty-eight or something. But I kind of actually forgot to sign him. It must have been an injury crisis for us to bring in a goalkeeper in March. It must remember. be. I March that late loan deal. It must have been some sort of backup goalkeeper issue. Must have been. I actually totally forgot about that. Well, and you picked out the most forgettable of all the transfers. Well, the, the rest of the transfers that I'm looking at just now, every single name, I, I'd be surprised if there's anybody listening and watching in that doesn't recognise every single name on that list, apart from Kevin Pilkinson. Here was a, a, a bit of a, 
a diamond in the rough, if you could say it. Jonathan Gould, he was um, he was languishing in the reserves of Bradford City. And he came up for, of course, one of the most uh, historic seasons in, in Celtic's history. Jonathan Gould, what, what a pick he was, huh? Good keeper, I, I don't know, maybe maybe good is a stretch, but he did as a good turn, I remember. And being here for a couple of years, was he not? Quite a few years. Uh, right. He's the first image I have outside of Paddy Bourne or something. He's, a, he's one of the first images when you think Celtic goalkeeper. I, I see that old baggy uh, goalkeeper jumper on him. Well, jersey. Uh, he, he's just that kind of staple. I think it's just because of the age of his, really, that kind of... He was he was never a great goalkeeper, was he? But he'd, he'd done a job when he came in. But like I always remember him being this kind of this wee man. Like he looked, he, he was a strange kind of he, he had a strange physical kind of can look about him. He was he was pretty wee for a goalkeeper. You mean he's bald? Is that is that what you're trying to say? What? You mean he was bald? Is that what you're trying to say? No, he was small. He was like a wee goalkeeper. Am I right in saying, is, is it no his daughter or somebody who's working at Celtic TV aye. just now? Aye. And he's got a famous father too. Um, I Bobby Gould. Bobby Gould, yeah, yeah. Wales manager or a player or something. Yeah, I think you're right, mate. Uh, a few other um, cracking signings. Uh, Mark Hooper from West Ham. Love that guy. Um, and his day, it was like whenever he came to Scotland, he was a bit of a Rolls Royce of a defender, and he he dovetailed perfectly with Alan Stubbs at centre back. Um, but of course, um, a certain person in uh, in Germany was having um, after after winning the European Cup. Uh, I think his family were not were not really settling well, and that was Paul Lambert. What a signing he was! What a signing. No, that was, no, that's what you call a Rolls Royce. A Mark Zidane out of that, that, that final. Oh, yeah. God. Like, for, the, for the equivalent of that to happen nowadays, you know what I mean? Like, it'd be like for, for like Andy Robertson at Liverpool to say, oh, I'm fed up. I'm fed up with, with the Scouse accent. I'm coming back to Glasgow. You just, you know what I mean? You just make it happen. And, and hold up a minute, we're signing for just under two million. No. Yeah. <laughs> Never yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, a Harold Bratback. Yeah. How do you sum up him? Sometimes his finishing went from the sublime to the atrocious. Um, he, he was a, an enigma as a centre forward. Listen, he scored one of the most important and most iconic goals in Celtic history. So, whatever happened before that, whatever happened after that, it's irrelevant. The wee man is—he he wrote his name into Celtic football. But aye, at times he was push. Uh, but at times, you know, he, he looked unstoppable. But I, I just remember him now. As a as a pilot, that's a, that's that's my that's my other memory. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then, um, of course, the the most uh, famous of all the incomings was Henrik Larsson uh, from Feyenoord. I remember Who? him playing. Who? Never heard him. <laughs> I remember watching him play for Sweden in the nineteen ninety four uh, um, World Cup in, in USA. And uh, his, uh, his blonde dreadlocks were, were unmistakable. I just thought he looks an interesting player. And then I remember the pictures on the tabloid of him coming through the, the Glasgow airport. And I'm like, oh, yeah, dancer. I'm like, what is that, about 750,000 or something? That, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, absolute peanuts. We'll take him. 
Uh, aye, and, and who would have thought like with, with those names all kind of brought together? Obviously, you've got you've got your Lambert, probably the most famous of them all. But who would have thought those names under under the the guide the guidance of um of Wim Janssen would actually bring back the title for Celtic after after a, a decade of of negativity? Aye, uh, Gav, Gav, you you forgot one. Who? Enrico Anone. Did he not play no. under the Cano? Uh, with the Cano in the, in the previous season? No. Anone wasn't he that season? No. Ah, I know he still, still uh, played with us for that season, but I think he was still under, under Tommy Burns. Oh, was he? My apologies. Ah, he, he, was, he was just an absolute crackpot, wasn't he? Like, oh, he was mental. Uh, he came from Roma, didn't he? Aye, aye. I, I well, just, he used to wear a green boot and a white boot, didn't he? <laughs> right. I remember going to Ibrox for the, the CIS Cup final. Mm. Uh, Dundee United. So this was like two years after, roughly about, like, uh, roughly about two years after our Scottish Cup success against the other. Um, so 3-0 against Dundee United. I think the scorers were Mark Reaper, Craig Burley and Henrik Larson. I think Henrik Larson's was like a shot from outside the box that took a deflection. Um, but that, that was fantastic because for me, I'd been to the Coca-Cola Cup final where we lost in penalties to Wraith Rovers. I never, I wasn't fortunate enough to go to the, the game at Hamden against Airdrie, but I got to this one and um, what what a, what a game it was, what a night it was. And and that was the that was just a taste of what was to come in that season. What was uh, your guys' memories of that game? The, the, good, the good thing about that game was... That kind of that kind of set us up for the rest of the season because at that time you know it could have went either or because I think I'm sure Rangers will start to get we'll start to get more consistency, um, but we basically we we took the first scalp that season and it was a massive massive game as you say, three three highly important goals against a, a goalkeeper that I'll never ever forget for the rest of my life because he looked like a porn star, uh, Seed Dykstra, remember Dykstra. him. Big had a big daft fucking moustache. I, I would imagine he had a tash like that. Aye, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> absolute, absolute push, but uh, aye, uh, big three goals against Big Dykstra. But no, uh, back to the back to the game. Sorry, uh, absolutely pivotal for that season because it gave the guys the belief, you know, that they could go on and win, and they could stop the team. And mm-hmm. I think, I think for us, it was it was important as well that you know later on we'd started to get more confidence, more belief. And then at that point, the other side, you know, fucking Walter Smith, he's announced that he's going to, he's basically leaving at the end of the season. So there was a wee bit of, uh, the, the rug was pulled out from underneath their feet a wee bit. You know what I mean? So we, the, the, the bar, every single bit of balance just started to go towards us and it gave us the, the belief that we could go and do it, which we obviously did, which was incredible. And it was, it was kind of hard to foster that mentality, that confidence, because the first game against Rangers, we lost 1-0. I think that was like a, a Richard Goff goal um, that, that, that settled it. So it was kind of difficult because you were thinking, oh, it's going to be another season, another one of day ones. Um, but the, the the following game against Rangers, that was a parkhead, and it was it was one eight. Um, Alan Stubbs got a, a late goal near the end. And that it's, it's really, really kind of important to, to emphasise to the younger viewers that in that season, we only won the league by two points. And like even Hearts, Hearts only finished about five below Rangers, I think, roughly about that. So points were like gold dust. Everything counted. You know, every point lost, every point gained. It was really, really crucial. 
And um, that that um, that goal that Alan Stubbs got is um, to to, to equalise against Rangers at Parkhead. That was massive. Um, I think correct me if I'm wrong. Gaza might have actually been sent off in that game. I think the referee was a uh, Robottom. Do you remember that that big bald guy, Robottom? Oh. <laughs> That's a blast of the past, isn't it, man? Oh, I, I think Gaza was up to his usual shenanigans. He might have thrown a elbow or something, but Robottom just stood up to him and says, "No, you're off, mate." And um. That was uh, obviously Serge Dusville, justified, of course. But yeah, one each, and then the, the the famous one. I think we'll all remember this: the two and all game against uh, against Rangers at, at Parkhead. And this was uh, um, Craig Burley. He got a reverse pass with Jackie McNamara and dropped in the box to the the far post. He beat Andy Gorham, and then the second goal was that that stunner. Oh, Beefy Lambert, top right man. Oh, I think that's probably the first kind of long Ranger that I can. Like vividly remember, you know, uh, just it, it was beautiful the way they hit it because it just had enough curve just to get, get by the the fat flying pig, and uh, you know it just clipped the inside of the the, the post right in the corner, and I yeah the fucking Celtic part erupted went mental. I only stayed about five minutes away, and I was listening to the game on the the on the tranny, believe it or not, listening to the game on the tranny with the window opened and the fucking. The roars came for Celtic Park first, and uh, and then it came through in the tranny. I think I actually nearly fell out the window, but no, we we'll don't talk about that. But I just want to just want to give you a quick mention there. A Fud Roaster, the guy with the most credible name. Uh, are you guys old enough to remember the jungle? Well, yeah, obviously I'm not as old as you, Fud Roaster, but I do. <laughs> I've got I've got a couple of memories of being a wee young boy. Get lifted all the turnstiles and took it into the jungle. But my, my, my biggest memory is somebody pushed on my leg, a uh, hot pocket, I believe it's called. So that's I a Billy Corley sketch. It probably was. It was probably Jobbies flying underneath her feet and all, you know what I mean? Like, probably Billy who pushed on you, and that's why you made a joke about it. <laughs> By the way, thanks for reminding me that I'll need to talk about him. I actually met him at the, the last game of the season. Thanks for, very much for that, Gav. Uh, Ford Rosa, we were actually quite aware of this whenever we titled the podcast Jungle Gyms. Well, it's going to be really hypocritical if we can't get like, one single memory between the three of us um, of the jungle. My, my first ever memory at Celtic was, um, I know we're going to be a bit off topic, but it's quite fun to kind of reminisce. My first ever memory at the jungle was a 1-0 one, one game against Young Boys of Bern. It was a UEFA Cup tie and it was the most boring game ever. We won through an own goal, and I believe we had an announcer because I remember that. But I read about it afterwards, but like, like years later, and we had an announcer at the stadium. And Rangers had a bad defeat that night, and their their result had just been uh, the, the result had just concluded at half time. So the Parkhead announcer, uh, who liked to kind of um, get the fans on board, he announced that that Rangers had get beaten. Um, he he made a funny comment, but the board I think at the time didn't take too kindly to it and he gets sacked like the following day uh, because of his comments which was a, a bit tragic you know what I mean um, but yeah why, that, do that, have, why do I have memories is that not Tiger Tim was that no Tiger Tim that did that I think it was I think it was it was it was I'm pretty high it was well done while we're on the tangent as Gav was saying there I'll hold my hands up I have no memory of the jungle my my first real memories of Celtic is actually the the season at Hamden. Uh, I ended up getting a half season ticket, well, ha- half of a season season ticket, 
um, going with my uncle back in the day. I remember being at a game against Hearts in the North Stand, a game against Kilmarnock. I was in the main stand with hospitality passes and whatnot. But then my my big memories was going to that Newcastle game, the kind of friendly opening game of the the new stadium sort of thing. And that's that's where for me that's where my my real memories of Celtic Park start from is is from that ninety five season onwards. So I'll hold I mean, my hands up. I know, as you say, Gavin, we knew this was going to come up at some point that people will question how old are these idiots. Uh, but not for me, it's not. But then the name of the podcast kind of helps bring in a bit of questions like that. It, it's it's not against us not to have it as a name. So, yeah. We were all born when Celtic played in the jungle, so that's why. Exactly. If you don't, if you don't like it, fuck up. <laughs> um, right. Let's kind of fast forward into that season. Um, the, the the second last game. No, I think we'd actually, we had the chance to win a couple of times to, to kind of wrap up the title. Um, and the, the, the second last game, my, my father was convinced that we were going to win it um, away at, um, at Dunfermline. So we got tickets and we drove through. And um, Simon Donnelly was, he scored the goal, I believe it was. And um, then they, they got ahead of right at the death to, to make it one each. And um, it would have been great, of course, you know, to, to, for that to conclude then. But it kind of set it up. Uh, it was a fitting way to end the season for, for it all to be skittish and going into that Parkhead game against the Johnson and like, it was make a break. Um, and of course, we, we won 2-0. Um, what, what was your memories of that? The, the, the game, the St. Johnson game. 2-0 against St. Johnson, I. Same again, Gav. I, I wasn't at the game that day. Uh, my dad wanted to go in the swallow, obviously, to go and celebrate. They had feelings there. Uh, so I was, I, was le- I was left in the house with my brother and one of my pals. Again, tap dancer in the course. Window open wide. Game on the tranny. Listen to Celtic Park, listen to the tranny at the same time. And you could just hear it coming through. 1 0. I fucking. But honestly, I. Anytime I heard a, 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 a fucking scream for Park Kid, it actually shook the house. You know, oh. I mean that's how clo- that's how close we were, and it was just it was it was frightening the, the, the sound. And then you're listening to the game, and the longer it goes on, the more your your ass is starting to make buttons because like fuck, what happens if they equalise? You know what I mean? This goes on, and then the fucking roar. The roar went first before it came through in the tranny, and you're like fucking yes, brilliant. So at that point. I think that was what, fucking 10 minutes left to go or something. Three has decided, right, shoes on. We ran away up to Celtic Park just as the game had finished. And you know how you've got the big uh, the big iron gates, the doors at the sides? Yeah. I think everybody and their granny that was outside the stadium that day fucking just barged right through, made a beeline for them. Fucking shirts got flung out the way and everything. Massive pitch invasion. By the time they get through the gates, everybody was on the pitch. Fucking all running about, dancing about, and see oh. that point, Gav. Like the cameraman that used to sit on the side, over the big fucking long telescopic cameras. Mm-hmm. They used to have, they used to have that the, the film. This is how fucking old it was. They used to have to put a film into their camera. That they used to have wee spills, wee plastic camera spills, and when they were finished with, it, they would leave their wee camera spills at the side. We were all running up, grabbing the spills and fucking filling the pitch full of fucking. All these things. My brother, my brother actually stole the penalty spot. That's where it went. Aye. <laughs> uh, aye. McGinty, uh, did, did you have a season ticket at that time? Uh, yeah, that one. Uh, 
what it would have been three years at Celtic Park at that point. 95, 96, 96, 97, 97, 98. Aye, that would have been in the third year. Um, my memory of that that second goal is almost like a mirror image of how it actually happened. For years, I was convinced I was sitting at uh, Block 110, just where the, the Green Brigade now starts. And for years, I had it in my head that the run was down the left side, cuts in, comes central, takes a shot, and then it goes. And I'm pretty sure a few years ago, I watched that video back of that goal, and it was actually the other way around. It was not the. It was almost like a mirror image, but yeah, the that, that entire season it, it educated me so much in football. Um, learning about tactics, understanding what a bloody tactic was, as we said earlier. The um, the end of the season, understanding those games leading up to getting those draws and stuff. Oh. Uh, so we're looking at some weather. Oh. Um, Ahmed uh, Sylvester, respect, respect, love from Feyenoord, Rotterdam. Mate, extending the love out to you. Thank you very much for watching that. That's brilliant. Agree. Thank you for coming on, Arnold. Um, but yeah, it's those two draws leading up to it, that, that feeling and understanding of what a win really means to, to eventually clinch a title. Um, Paris saying earlier on as well about the uh, the win and the, the cup. It came on the back of November was a horrible month mm. for us. Everything looked so doom and gloom. A couple of defeats and a draw and stuff in there. It was, it was a horrible month. But you get that win. And it's a, the memory, the first memory that I understand of what it means to get that first trophy in the bag. It can really kick you on. And that's been, for me, that season was just such an education of understanding what football really was. I think, what, what were we, 97, 98? So what, we were 11, 12 years old at the time. It, it was just entirely an education for me that entire season. I, I loved it. Um, my memories of every single game is obviously a bit hazy, as most of us would when you're that age and you're you know, 25 years on. But what a, what a season. To, to get those two goals, that, that game itself will forever live in my head as a mirror image, apparently. But the feeling afterwards, that... that that euphoria of that elation when you when you knew you'd done something magical like stopping that tent, getting that first league title under the belt, first one we had ever seen, guys. Let's be honest. Uh, well, what, what game? There's there's a uh, Brian commented in as well. So he ended up down the Gallagher after the game, hugging complete strangers, and the joy and relief was incredible. Fantastic day. RIP won the tin. That's 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 what I was going to lead into. What I was going to uh, what you'd actually remembered me about, Gav. So after we left Celtic Park, there was literally, it was a fucking, the Gallagate Road, all the way to the Gallagate, presumably the pubs, mate, it was chock-a-block, absolutely. It was a sea of green, white and orange, it was a sea of fucking dancing, it was incredible. And what, what I remember that day, because we, we'd actually come back down that way, um, there was a limo, right, there was a limo and it was roughly just running about the, Bel the old Belgrove Hotel, and everybody's fucking running up to this limo, right, and all you see... There's a smoke coming at this limo. Everybody's like, who's that? And then you hear the, you hear the, the, the voice doing again, oh, it's Billy Conley, Billy Conley. <laughs> so I've ran away out of the fucking limo, pushed people out of the way, and I'm like, oh, Billy, and he's the other big man, right? I swear to God, he's got the feet up in the limo. The fucking glass of champagne, the cigar. Grabs my horn, I put my horn in to shake his horn. I'm fucking only a wee guy at that point. And then... <laughs> Big man got all the mine and shook it, and I swear to God, see to this day, I actually still think he broke a couple of bones in my own. 
That's <laughs> how much I grasped it. But it was, it was great. It was great to see somebody like that on that day. Do you know what I mean? Just like a, like a proper celebrity, just sitting, chilling out, fucking celebrating cigar out. Absolutely brilliant. See if that's the way that that's a brilliant story. See if that's the way that Billy Connolly was celebrating. I wonder what Rod Stewart was doing that day. That'd be interesting too. Oh, he, um, he was probably he was probably fucking shaking his hips in front of a mirror or something, throwing money at <laughs> uh, Briefly, my memory of the game. Um, I, I was uh, sitting at one o four in the north. We were like a couple of rows for the front. That's where we we sat, and it was my mum who took me to the, to the game that day. And um, I remember. During the entire season, the guy who sat to my left, he was an absolute joker. Like, you know, sitting so close to the front, the, the heckles that you would hear from the fans to the, the opposition players were fantastic. And this guy's one-liners were brutal, man. And would put you down in, a, in an instant. And he was just so, so funny. He would have me in stitches for the entire season. But for this one game, because it was so <laughs> tense, the tense would be here, this guy barely said a word. Um... And that, that was just kind of telling all of the game and how people, even grown men, how they reacted to that atmosphere. But whenever the full-time whistle went and the pitching season started, I just turned around to my mum and I says, I'll be back with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I dodged past a steward, ran onto the pitch, and I was celebrating as everybody flooded on. And I actually wormed my way over to Stuart Kerr, who was the, the reserve goalkeeper for that, for that game. And uh, just jumping up like a, just, you know what I mean, like a pig and shit, man. That's how happy I was. Um, aye, and of course, after the euphoria of that game, the, the following day we were contracted to play a friendly against Sport Lisbon. I think that might have been a a, a clause of the probably the signing of uh, George Cadet um, a few years prior. Don't know how that still lasted, but <coughs> pardon me, the rumor was on the day and news started filtering out that <coughs> Wim Jansen was going to leave. And um, Jock Brown and Fergus McCandy actually given a couple of interviews at Celtic Park. This was, I think, the day after. And, um, <coughs> pardon me, the, the, the rumours were that there was a fractured relationship between the hierarchy and with um, and with Wim Janssen. And that Wim Janssen, uh, he, he wanted more money invested to buy better players to strengthen, because that's what you normally do if you're champions and you strengthen, you... you you have to move on. You don't stagnate. Whereas with Fergus McCann and uh, Jock Brown, they were coming out with a different line and saying that Wim Janssen wasn't following the club policy of planning for the future. They were accusing him of, of being a short-term um, mentality. And they just said that he wasn't, uh, there was a personality clash, that he wasn't uh, fitting in with the club ethos. And that eventually the news broke and Wim Janssen had left, and we were all devastated. But even Jock Brown and Fergus McCann said, well, if he never left, then he would have been pushed because the relationship had well and truly broken down. And that was a sad thing, because I'd read in an interview from, from Wim Janssen that from about February onwards that year, it was Murdo McLeod, um, who was the go-between. Fergus, sorry, Wim Janssen never had another conversation from February onwards with either the sporting director, Jock Brown, or... Or the man himself, Ernst McCann. A very, very sad way to end things. Aye, I think it was. I think it was pretty common knowledge that Jock Brown, who was the, I think it was a general manager, was his was his job title. I, I think he was pretty much an interfering, baldy bastard, uh, to put it to, to put it bluntly. <coughs> which which clearly didn't suit Janssen's kind of kind of model of working. And I think what had happened, Gav, was at that point. You know, Fergus McCann had knew that he'd kind of 
he'd done enough to save the club, so he was kind of trying to leave other guys to take over the mantle or running the club. I.e. why he brought in Jock Brown as the general manager. God knows why they brought him in, but he's brought in a general manager. And he's tried to rule the club with an iron fist. So as you say quite rightly, like when say like have won the league, he's he's went and says I need can I upgrades, I need this player, I need this player. I can't remember the, the names of the players who he was going for, but it's it's been noted before, right? And it's gonna annoy me. But he's he's de- I, I'm sure there was a couple of Dutch players, kind of stuff like that. And I the the Jock Brown and McCann line was that he wasn't focusing on the youth development at all. Which to be fair, he wasn't. He was but he was brought in to do a job, he was brought in to stop the ten, which he did. And as you say, you've stopped the ten, you want you next want to go and win the league and you want to to, to do better in Europe because we'd already went that went that season by getting kind of nearly humiliated against uh, uh, Timus Timus or something, whatever you pronounce him. And then Zero Innsbruck. Aye, something like that. Sorry, my apologies. And then the you know, we had the back to back games against Liverpool. And if it wasn't for that, Steve McMahon and Wonderstreak, you know, who's who's to say what could have happened? But aye, he, def- he definitely tried to elevate the team, bring in better players. Dr. Strangelove says that Carol Hines Riga was one of the one of the, the names, and I think he played with Dortmund. Uh, Carol Hines Riedel might have been. But um but aye, he- but um, I it was a it was a sad way to go because there was the nobody get the chance to say cheerio, nobody get the chance to kind of thank him for what he did and come in, and the next thing you knew, uh, Doctor Joe was the manager who, again recently, fairly recently has uh, has, has passed away. I know, which is, and oh, oh. in, in hindsight, with the Fergus McCann situation at Celtic. I always remember having that feeling or under the impression at that age anyway that Fergus McCann was not very liked amongst the support in the stands at the time. I think that's fairly safe to say. Um, But history is so much kinder to Fergus McCann. In hindsight, we all understand what the guy was actually trying to do. And he he stuck to his words. He said he was going to come in, he was going to fix Celtic, rebuild a stadium, give us all the modern tech and all rest of it, and then he was going to take his money back out and leave. So leave us on a steady foot. And he did exactly what he said. Um, but if you think back to how things had panned out under his tenure, and there's parallels to things that have happened since, as Paddy's alluding to, we, um, the ambition to try and push forward, you, you see that often in the last 20 years or so with Celtic. It's not just a Fergus McCann thing. But at that era where Fergus McCann, I always remember feeling the the women Yanson leaving was almost similar to the three amigos leaving. They wanted a little bit more. They 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 understood their level. They understood where they could be at a higher level, and they understood what their worth was. But Fergus McCann was a, a very shrewd businessman at the time, and he refused to budge on giving the likes of Decanio or Pierre bigger wages. He fell out with the players. The players fell out with, uh, not the club per se, but they fell out with obviously, obviously the management of the club. And things ended in a unsavoury way. And I always have that same feeling about when women left. It was for similar circumstances. It was almost like the board pushed them out. And in today's world, I would be up in arms about that. I would be first person up at Celtic Park, picketing for the board to be removed, removed, throwing, you know, metal shark fences uh, <laughs> into Celtic Park to try and get uh, changes to be happening. But as I said earlier, hindsight, 
in history is so much kinder because we now understand with time what Fergus McCann was doing and what Fergus McCann did for Celtic. I know I'm on a massive tangent here now. Was but, absolutely brilliant, and you, you can't fault it. It was a great season to have with him. He did what he needed to do, and he, for me, Wim Yazin is a, a true Celtic icon. Maybe not quite a legend in the Lisbon uh, yeah. Lions, but he, he's I, right. I, I, just, I just wanted to say him again on the point that you made before we kind of wrap up for a winner. I think, uh, in hindsight, um, history has been very, very kind to Fergus McCann. I don't want to linger too much in that, but I just think it's fascinating that both Wim Yansen and Fergus McCann, who at the end couldn't even speak to each other. Both of them are remembered as legends. And Very fondly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, polar opposite characters, but that's the thing. Paddy, what were you going to say, mate? I just want to get a, a, a load of comments on the side there just to try and touch on them in general. Uh, my apologies, we can't go into them all. But uh, I, you look at Fergus McCann and you look at what he was up against. He was up against uh, a society that was so willing to to close Celtic down and get rid of us. He came in and he stopped that. He came in, he brought in Tommy Burns, let him go, try and build his vision. It didn't happen. He got rid of him, which is which was part and parcel of the reason why he was so hated, because he got rid of a you know a Celtic legend. Then Wim came in, won the league, and they get rid of him again, which is another reason on top of that, which was why he was so disliked. But when you look at everything that he done, Looking back at it, he was up against a, a financially doped Rangers who were still signing players left, right and centre who they absolutely need right to be signing. And they had so much quality. Guys like uh, Brian Loudrop, Marco Negri, Gaza, players like that, you know what I mean? So for what we did in that period to stop that 10 was fundamentally, it was iconic. So for me, Wim Jansen goes down as an absolute legend. Well without said. Even, without even uh, a fucking hesitation. Well, we're going to wrap it up with Wim Janssen and again, just... Gav, 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 sorry, my apologies, mate. I actually, no, meant, to touch, I actually meant, to, I meant to touch on this. I know, I know a couple of you guys were, were asking in the comments section about the, the smell of the glove. We totally forgot to bring that up, you know, the, the oh. smell of the glove t-shirt. So, according to Paul Lambert, the, the rumour at the time why they wore the t-shirts, because it was like a kind of in-house joke, they wore the t-shirts... Uh, sorry, the, the, the rumour at the time why they wore the T-shirts was because one of the, the old firm games, uh, I think it might have been Ibrox, when that other mob won. Apparently Andy Gorham, when the Celtic players were in the changing room after the game, flung in one of his goalie gloves. He, he, he must have had a fucking absolute belter at a game, save his shots left and centre. He's flung one of his goalie gloves into the dressing room and went like, smell the glove. But according to Paul Lambert, um, that was a bit of shite. What he says was that they were doing in Kilmarnock. Uh, they were doing in Kilmarnock to, to, to train or to play or something. And uh, when they were driving, he says, Tosh McKinley noticed uh, somebody had spray-painted on a wall when they were driving by and it said, smell the glove. He says, and then ever since that, Tosh McKinley just kept saying it and saying it and saying it. As a wee daft saying, he says, so it was basically just like a an in-house kind of joke between all the players. That's why they done it. So, sorry, it wasn't a... I better answer, but that's, that's pretty shite when you actually get the real kind of the real background story, isn't it? Aye, aye. Uh, well, again, um, deepest wishes and um, uh, to, to the, the Janssen family and uh, to our, our friends in Rotterdam as well. Um, 
the passing of a legend. And uh, uh, we're going to move on to the Hearts game. We're playing Hearts tomorrow night. Um, but before we do that, we've got a wee segment where if, if our viewers do actually appreciate this, it might become a wee bit more of a, a common feature. Um, so it's a kind of on this day, on this day sort of thing. So 106 years ago, uh, a former Celtic player, Sandy McMahon, died. And this man, if you know your history, if you were to check the top 10 goal scorers of all time in our illustrious history, he, you would know that he features joint alongside Patsy Gallagher because both of them have scored an incredible 200 goals each. But this man, Alexander Sandy McMahon, I think he was nicknamed the Duke, he actually scored those 200 goals in only 261 appearances. And if you look at the top 10 goal scorers, that was uh, the, the lowest number of games, the lowest number of, of appearances out of all of his peers within that list, which is an incredible feat. Now, this man, who he might not be well-known amongst a lot of Celtic fans, and obviously, as you can tell, I've read up in the guy before talking about this, but he is the only um, Celtic legend of that list to appear from the 19th century. Now, whenever we talk about this well-trodden path of these era-defining heroes, the likes of your, your McGrory's, your Patsy Gallagher's, your Jinkies, your uh, Kenny Dow, um, whoever, Henry Larson, this guy was the first to walk down that path. So a massive amount of uh, respect for that guy. And it's only right that, that, that we try and remember it. I mean, so on this day, hopefully it becomes a more regular feature. And we remember um, the, the, the past heroes of a bygone era, um, because it's only by us and the history books um, reciting these names then they'll always kind of live on in the memory. And going back to the our, our friend from Holland, um, a legend for you guys, a legend for us, Feyenoord. That makes football great. I will drink my last beer now, and I wish you guys all the best um, with your beautiful club. Mate, thank you very, very much for that. It's, I think um, you, you might probably be our first foreign uh, viewer that, that we're aware of anyway. So that's another notch in our belt for our podcast. Thank you so, so much. It means a lot. And Bishop wishes with you, mate. Thank you for I that. Think, I think I, I think I seen earlier on as well, Gav. The Fud Roaster says he works in Norway. And uh, who was it? Kevin 14. Aye, sorry, sorry, Kevin. I meant to say earlier, uh, Kevin put up a post said that, uh, that he's a dead ringer for, for Harold Bratback, at least he was. So, but bit of a doppel, uh, doppelganger situation. I have yeah. to say, uh, total tangent, total taken away from, from what you're saying there, Gav, again. But I feel like, uh, as a guy who appreciates some, uh, some new football tops once in a blue moon. I feel like I need to get a final top in into my collection now after tonight's show. I uh, just stay away for the Ajax ones. Then. Too late. That's not um, what's the one that you're wearing tonight? Uh, this one is the uh, I'll butcher the hell of the name of it. Brazilian team club uh, Atlético Mineiro. They they released this uh, technically last year. It was actually quite a good story that. I think it's 113th anniversary. I think every year they do like a, an anniversary kit of some kind. Usually a big money spinner for a lot of clubs. But this was one of the ones that they allowed uh, a fan to design that actual kit. You, know, you, you see it every year as a Celtic fan. You always see the, the fan concept kits coming out. You're like, oh my God, the fan concept kits are like sublime. They're that amazing. Fan concept. This is funky. And, that it? does. That does. And it's a legend of the top for many, many reasons. Uh, and we all know why it's uh, generally not looked fondly upon. upon. Uh, but this one here was uh, a fan-made one, basically, that the club officially made with the Coxball teeth, obviously. 
it's, it's an absolute beautiful shirt. Um, glad to have it in my wee collection anyway. But yeah, I feel like a, a fine odd one has to be added, especially after tonight, after today we we win passing. Go for it, mate. Uh, definitely do that over at a Holland just, top. Just, I, I, don't be wearing that fucking Holland top. You've got... Say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I did contemplate it, but uh, <laughs> even now, I'm not that <laughs> daft on the Holland top. Right, um, moving on to the, the, the Hearts game. So we're going to do a, a post-match review after the game, win, lose or draw. Uh, but guys, a lot riding on this. So of course, the last time we, we played Hearts at Tynecastle, that was like the first game of the, the league. We get beat 2-1. I think uh, Kyogo actually made his debut um, as a sub. Um, Ralston scored that brilliant goal. Um, but of course, Star- Starfelt made, made that horrendous challenge, which, which led to a goal as well. But guys, um, you know that they're going to bring it. There's no surprises at Tynecastle. So with the news that Callum McGregor's not going to make it, we know that Kyogo's not going to make it. Maida, I'd imagine, is already in Japan. Um, our, our hopes rest a lot on the likes of Jack and Marcus, uh, the more kind of less celebrated um, players. So, uh, whoever wants to kind of pick up the mantle for this one, what's your expectations and what have you got a rough idea for the lineup? I think the front line is I, I feel it's going to be Jot on the left, Abada through the middle, and Force on the right. And uh, to be honest, I think it's probably the best we can do right now. It's got pace, it's got trickery, uh, it's direct in quite a lot of ways. I know Force is kind of off the boil just now a lot of injuries this season trying to get back to form but a batter through the middle has proved at least twice already this season that he can do a good turn there and he's goal returns for this season as much as he's been hot and cold and kind of not in form his goal returns is phenomenal uh, for, for a right winger at his age and all the rest of it so for me that would be your front line uh, I have to assume that Hatati's going to start yeah. tomorrow night he, he has to with, with the players that are out and it's going to be a big game for him to to take take it by the scruff of the neck and just just control that game, show a, a leadership quality. I think the rest of the team standard fair, isn't? You're going to have Beaton probably alongside Tati. Uh Have we lost Roderick already? Is he away? Did you see? Yep. I've uh, lost uh, Gucci. Gucci's out. Gucci's out. <laughs> So you're struggling for maybe a, a third midfielder there without trying to I be think, too defensive. I, 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 think, I would be wide of me. McCarthy came in as well. That'd be I think, defensive. I think either, either going to be McCarthy or the new guy who is uh, O'Reilly. O'Reilly. I, I think you might see Hitati beat on an O'Reilly, actually. And I think that'd be a much better preference for midfield. I, I don't think McCarthy's... McCarthy is not an Ange Postecoglou signing at all. Clearly he's not. He's not He's not featured in any sort of way that suggests that Ange is trying to get him into the side. He's there out of... He's a number. Sort of thing. So I don't. I don't think he's going to turn him as a as an option. I think he's he'll be on the bench in case we need to re- return to him. But surely you're going to look at the midfield eye of O'Reilly in the kind of number ten ish kind of place where Tati yeah. and Beaton bind. You wonder with the the loss of experience of your your captain McGregor would would McCarthy actually possibly do a job for us as well the physicality too. And another thing I would imagine John Tutor. Um, I don't know if he's going to join Rangers uh, this this window, um, but if John Souter is going to be playing in defence. How do you feel that um, Paddy McGinty already mentioned about Abada playing up through the middle? Do you think Abada could maybe go into his shell if he's playing against two physical centre backs, or do you think 
Jack and Marcus caught his goal. Continue with Jack and Marcus. A bad as they're starting up front. Jack and Marcus is going to be starting up front 100%. I've, uh, I've, I've backed him quite recently. And I don't see why he would be dropped. You know what I mean? He scored the last game. And uh, I know what Bada scored, obviously, but he was playing at the, the, the right hand side. But regardless of who is playing, I, I don't think it matters because for me, John Suter's is, is, is push. I, re- I genuinely think he's pushing all the people will say that he's played really, really well this season and fucking this and that. But no, nah, I think he's a fucking haddie. Uh, so for me, it's going to be Hart and Golds, Juranovic right back. Starfield, Vickers, Taylor. I'm going to go with McCarthy, Hatati, and O'Reilly with Jota left, a bad right, and Jackie Marcus to the centre. I, I, I think that's very likely. I just think in the back line, you're more likely to see um, Julian getting in there again. I think I think he's about back now. I think- I think you'll um, probably I think you'll probably come on at some point, but I don't think I don't think he's going to walk into starting. My, my preference for the front three is to put a bad up there. I am not impressed with Giamakis at all. Um but I, th- I think you're probably more right, Paddy, that Giamakis is probably gonna start it. Aye, because we, 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 we've not got a striker, we've not got Maeda, we've not got Kyogo. So we need to play an actual out and out striker because this guy needs to be played for the next few games. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so it's all fair and well playing Abada, who's a winger up front, and he's had a couple of decent games where he scored a goal as as and playing that position. But we need a guy who is an actual out and out striker because we're going to need we're going to need experience. We're going to need a goal. We we need to beat the bastards fucking next week. I don't care. The Danny's think that tomorrow night's game is going to be dirtier than the uh, the game we witnessed on uh, Saturday evening. Uh, I think it'll be on a par with it. I think I think guys like Suter are are going to be going out with intentions. As much as you saw that that boy Niang was clearly out with intention to kick and go in heavy on challenges. I think Suter's going to be the same. Um, will he been told by his new employers to to do that? Probably, probably not. Who knows? But I think it's as a mentality. I know what you're saying there, Gavin. I see your face. Um, I think it's the mentality though if, you, if you're willing to sign for that mob you've got mentality in your head already surely that you, you, you're you dirty bastards um, so I reckon Suto will happily hey, go in two footed in some challenges language <laughs> sorry well, I, I couldn't even catch on with the data oh, um, I, was, I, was jo- I was joking you're, you're, you're usually Mr Kena there's some things I don't see. Yes. The B word, I'm all right Good on you. I'll, I'll say I'll say it for the rest of these. All right, we, we do have the proverbial square jar for this podcast. Uh, Paddy's in his over. A million already. <laughs> Aye, right, okay. So, Paddy, uh, myself and you, uh, we will be on for tomorrow night's podcast. Um, we'll be a late one anyway, so hopefully we'll have the, the viewers tuning in for that. Um, predictions for tomorrow night, I am going to go first. Um, Christ, uh, I've got no faith in my own predictions. I'm going to go for. Aye, I'm going to go for. Uh, I'm going to go for three one actually. Aye, I like that. I like that result. Three one. Yeah, I, I'm the same. Three one was mine. Uh, I don't know if they're going to score first or if it'll go one each. I think I think it'll be a touchy moment, but eventually I think we'll we'll go out good winners at three one as well. 
3-1 and a 3-1. Paddy, what's your thoughts? I'm going to go for 5-2. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be like a two hour podcast tomorrow night, man. I'll, I'll never get any sleep. 5-2, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to put it on as a coupon just in case it actually happens. Uh, I, I, reckon, I reckon Big Jackie Marcus is going to get two goals. I reckon Avada might chip in. Jota and maybe... Maybe ah fuck it, Starfield. Starfield is going to score the morning. Hey, see if Giamakis scores a brace tomorrow night. I will start to eat my my words and my hats and shit like that. If he scores a brace, I'll be so. No, impressed. no. Do you know what you can do? You can eat your collection of football taps. How's that? Absolutely <laughs> not. They're worth a small fortune. There's that many of them. Well, what about a wee red card for either side tomorrow night? I think that's on the cards. Uh, John Sir. Uh, uh, Robbie Nielsen. <laughs> well, uh, you you got way, five on a hot red card. He, he he deserves a fucking red card for that haircut anyway. I I think I'm a big. <laughs> uh, right, okay, so I I guess what we'll round it up for tonight. Um, hope hopefully we win the morning. Of course, of course, uh, needless to say, but hopefully with the the chat for uh, Wim Jansen, we've done him a, a wee bit of justice and kind of real up our our memories of what that that guy gave to us and. By far, one of the happiest moments in my childhood was that St. Johnson game. Um, so, aye, all I can say is thank you, Wim. Uh, guys, any final thoughts before we finish up for tonight? Just the usual, guys. Uh, glad to be here. Loved it for tonight. Uh, all the best for tomorrow. We'll be used doing the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be working, but I'll, I'll be watching as much as I can slightly in the back corners of my work. Um, if my boss is listening, no, I won't. Uh, but yeah, hello hey, hey, to everybody and thank you for being here, guys. I uh, just pretty much what you're saying to yourself, Gav. You know, it's another, another sad day again to lose another club legend. But at the same time, it's good because, well, it's not, it's not good, sorry. It's uh, it's good to to kind of bring up the, the happy memories and, you know, the good times when these people were here and were alive. So, uh, so a, bit, a big massive thanks to that man. Brought us a, a, a major part of success in our history. Brought us players like Larson, you know, who then went on to bring us even bigger successes. So, I uh, just, just, a, just a, a great servant of the club, even though he was only here for a year. So, uh, and I'm sure he was an even better man than he was a, 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 a member of staff for Celtic. Very well said. The man had a, had a rich life. Yeah. Um. Well, to the viewers, I, I hope you've enjoyed the content tonight, and for Fud Roaster. Are you guys doing a, a cast tomorrow? Yes, absolutely, mate. Um, apparently, we're going to win 5-2 tomorrow night, so you can bet your bottom dollar we will be doing a podcast after the Hearts game. So, I will probably go live right after it. Um, but, yeah, again, to the viewers, thank you very, very much uh, for, for joining us tonight. And I hope that... Um, thank you, for again, for sharing your memories with us, with your, your live comments. Um, please hit that like button. You've got no idea how much the like button helps progress our channel on YouTube. Please hit the subscribe button and please share that uh, file with um, your other your other fellow, fellow Celtic fans. But from myself and Paddy and McGinty, thank you very much and good night. Bye, bless. Hail, hail. <laughs>